Okay. Your season to see God. Who's expecting to see God in this season? You know, you see God in the spirit. You're never the same. Father, I thank you. You're here to work today. Your presence is here. Lord, you're breaking off chains of oppression, lifting off sorrow and heaviness. Father God, you want your people not only to be free, to be gloriously free. Father, let your word run today and have its way. Send forth your word into the depths of our hearts and let us understand what you're doing in this generation, what you're requiring of your people today. Lord, bless us today with this word in Jesus' name. Who wants to know what God is up to today? It's very important that we be a people who, not just uh, in this day and age, we don't just preach generically, but every now and then we bring something, a word of God, which gives us understanding of the times. Because the word of God says there are people in the scriptures, a man of Ezekiel and Daniel had understanding of the times. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will show us the truth, but also the things to come. So I, I preach today, I'm going to preach on Isaiah chapter 6, and that passage begins, and it's a passage about having an encounter with God, but it's a passage which begins by saying, in the year King Uzziah died. So to understand what God is doing today, and to understand what God wants to say today, we have to have a little bit of understanding about King Uzziah. Because Isaiah, Isaiah had this incredible encounter with God, that changed his life, and you can have one of those as well. God wants to give you an encounter like that, but it happened at a certain time in history. He had an encounter with God that says, in the year King Uzziah died. And it was a time where, uh, let me just backtrack, Uzziah, to understand it, King, a little bit confusing here, King Uzziah and the prophet Isaiah. So I'm speaking about the king Uzziah. He's the one that died. And that we need to understand. And king Uzziah was a king. He became king at 16 years of age. And he was a king who was, most of the kings of Israel and Judah were bad, but he was a good king. And he was a king who God so blessed. I mean, he, he, the Bible says here, and you can see it in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 to understand the passage. You can read along. It says that he did right in the sight of God. In verse 4, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Most of the kings did not do that. So this young man at 16 years old, when he became king, said, I want to do things God's ways. I want to establish Israel under the hand of God. And the Bible says that uh, as he sought God, says that, that um, he sought God in verse 5 in the days of Zechariah. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And you see, he, uh, he prospered so much. He had an extraordinary blessing. There was no end of blessing. goes on to speak about how he, uh, he brought kings. The other kings would bring tribute to him because his fame spread. So he had fame. And he was a builder. Verse 9 speaks about he built great things like Hezekiah. He built the towers in Jerusalem. He was a builder. And he built towers in the desert. He was also, he, he was great at uh, bring, bringing more prosperity and food and cattle into uh, Israel. And for 52 years, 
Israel prospered like no other season. They had this great season of victory and success. And he dug well, so the livestock had, had water and everything flourished. The, 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 you know, the crops grew and the cows had something to eat. And it says he also had great power. He had an army of 300,000, which is uncommonly large. And it says in verse 13 that they were, had mighty power. And so nobody could overcome him militarily. He was great so that all his enemies paid tribute to him. He was truly the head and the, not the tail. And it says in his time they even had great technology. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men. So it was a time of great technological advancement. And, and Israel had never been stronger except for under King David than under Uzziah. He was a wonderful king. And the reason that they prospered and the reason that you and I will prosper is very simple. It says that, first of all, it says that he had a godly father. Now that's a blessing, but it's not the reason he prospered. It says his father was Amaziah. And, uh, and Amaziah was a good king, but he said that's not the reason he prospered. It says the reason he prospered was that, verse 4, it says his father was Amaziah. That's why he did right in the Son of the Lord, but he sought God in verse 5. He simply sought God. As long as he sought God, God made him prosper. And if prosper means be a success. And we often make the Christian life really hard, but God is somebody who wants to be sought. He wants us to go after him. And there's something that God wants he, he, for you to go after his presence, to go after an encounter with him, to not only just know him and, and read your Bible, but to want to know God, to seek him. And, the, and all through the scriptures, seeking God and prosperity are so closely linked. Seeking God and success. Many, many people know Jeremiah 29. They can quote it backwards. God says, I know my thoughts I have towards you. Thoughts to give you peace and not evil. To give you a future and not a hope. Isn't that wonderful? God thinks things are probable. He basically saying, I have a future for you that's successful and prosperous. That's what I think about you. But they don't read the next verse. He says, to have it, you will call upon me and go and pray to me. You'll listen to me. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. and I will be found by you. In other words, that promise of prosperity is, reverse, is reserved for those who are seekers of God. Who really want a relationship with God. You know, if you're a seeker of God, I want to tell you, God is more important to you than anything else in the world. And you don't come to church to fulfill your duty. You come to church to have an encounter with God. And if you don't have an encounter with God, you're upset. That's what God wants in his people. He wants us to be people who come in here and say, Oh God, I've got to find you today. I've got to encounter you today. Like your Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon me today or I'm not going home. I'm telling you what, if everyone come into the church like this, church would have revival. But it's simply because he, he went after God that not only he prospered, but all of Israel prospered. I'm telling you, if you're a father, you go after God, your whole household will prosper. I'm telling you, if you go after God, you seek God with all your heart, affected all of Israel, every aspect of Israel was successful. That's what the Christian life boils down to. Going after God. So he went after God. He became powerful. I love this. It says that God helped him. So wonderful that God 
helped him. The reason he became strong. Look at verse 15. So his fame spread far and wide for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. You can start out weak, but if you seek God, God will marvelously help you. Where I look to the hills for where my help comes from. He helps you. You cannot become successful and prosperous on your own. But if you seek him, you will find him and he will become your helper, your partner. And one day you'll say, here I am. My life is good. I don't know how it happens because God helped you. When God helps you, you we, we, we sometimes think wrong. Or we sometimes think I'm in partnership with God's 50-50. No, when God helps you and you get to your destination, you say, God, it was 99% your help and 1% me. That's how it is when God helps you. So he, was, he sought God because God saw him coming after him, getting up in the morning, seeking his face in his presence. God marvelously helped him till he became strong. Let me get this tissue. I need to become strong. I am strong. <laughs> the weak say I am strong. So he became marvelously strong marvelously helped and God does that the next verse is one of the most tragic verses in all of the Bible but when he was strong his heart was lifted up to his destruction so this man who sought God God blessed his socks off he became so blessed by God and then this is a danger we have, is that when God really blesses you, you know, not many people have really been blessed by God that I've met. Because when God blesses you, it's not like a man has blessed you. When God blesses you, you, you just can't, it can't be contained. It runs into everything, every area, your ministry, your family, every area. And he's, he, this man was blessed by God. But the trouble is, and it's happened over and over again in history, when God really blesses us like that, we start to think we're special. We start to think we are deserving of God's blessing. We start to think that it's not 99% God and 1% me. We start to think, you know what? I've done something really good. And that's, that's, that's what pride looks like in your heart when you start to think you're, you're anything more than dust. But that's the truth. We are dust. We are made from dust. God reminds me that often. He works with dust. He is the potter. We are the clay, which means hardened dust. And you know, here he was. This man was gloriously helped. And then his heart became lifted up. And this passage is about a man. But it also speaks a lot about our nation. And indeed, you know, the whole Western world, Australia, the USA, UK. If you trace the history of the Western world. You know, our forefathers went after God. Our forefathers really sought God. We were established, particularly the UK and the US, their, their constitutions were established on a Judeo-Christian principle. And many of the founding fathers in the US were going after God. There were great men of God in, in the UK throughout history, and indeed this nation. And also the church, you know, I remember the season when the church was really going after God. And then the church and the nations of the West became successful and more prosperous than any nations in the whole world. 
I remember going to America in the, in the 80s and getting off a plane thinking, I can't, what is this place? I'd never felt the blessing of God like I did when I went to America. It was so prosperous and it was so successful. Every innovation, every technology came out of that nation. They were so blessed. And then our hearts get lifted up. And you see, this man, his heart got lifted up. And when your heart gets lifted up, you know when your heart's getting lifted up because he lost sight of God and he lost sight of God's word and he lost sight of God's ways. And you can, be, you can have the knowledge of God, you can have a great history with God, but just be warned, you can also lose sight of God. You can lose sight of God. You can lose sight of his word. And suddenly this man who, he, he gets into this thinking, and we can get into this thinking, that God has so blessed me, I can do anything. I'm special. I am so blessed. I've been so used by God. I am special, and I can pretty much do anything. God will continue to bless me. David had this issue before he fell with Bathsheba. That's why I stopped going to war. That's how Satan sets a trap. So here's this man, and he goes into the temple. And says he goes into the temple, and his heart was lifted up. And he went in to burn incense at the altar of incense. Now the Word of God clearly said the only people who could burn incense in the temple were the priests, not the kings. But he's got a new heart in his head now. I am so blessed by God, I can do anything I want. Because he lost sight of God. So he goes in there and he gets his censor and he starts building. And these priests who are godly men, they come out and they oppose him and they say, you can't do that king. Now kings could kill anyone in those days. But they're godly and they're courageous men. They come and oppose him. And they say, you cannot do that. That is only reserved for the priests and you must stop it. And then he, instead of repenting, he, it says, he became, verse 19, he became furious and angry with the priests. And he starts opposing. This man who was once for the truth now starts opposing men who are speaking the truth. He starts coming against and becoming angry at the truth. And then it says, the one, this is so frightening, he become furious and he had a censer in his hand to burn incest. While he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead because the priests in the house of the Lord stood beside the altar of incense. Verse 20 says, he hurried to get out because he was now leprous. Leprosy broke out on his forehead, this great king. And the Lord had struck him. Isn't that terrible? The one who God helped, God struck. The one that says, the one God marvelously helped, God then struck him. And, and he says he became diseased on his forehead. And you know, it's like Uzziah is a picture of people who when the word is given to them, he's no longer where he should be with God. He's no longer right with God. And instead of receiving the truth and honoring God and glorifying God, when the truth is spoken to him, he becomes angry and he becomes furious when he hears the word of God. And then he gets diseased 
on his forehead, which is like a diseased mind. And, as, and Romans chapter 1 speaks about this because they knew God, but they didn't glorify him anymore. No, they were thankful. They become foolish, futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It says, but professing to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. And it says, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart, dishonor their bodies among themselves, exchange the, with the truth of God for a lie, worship the, the, create, the creature rather than creator. And it says, then God gave them up again to vile passions, and that's what's happening today. People just hate it when the word is proclaimed. The truth is proclaimed, and we're already, a lot of our nation is already under the judgment of God. Our minds have become diseased. We actually think evil is good and good is evil. whole nation, in a sense, is like Uzziah, you know, diseased in the mind, angry with the truth today, angry if you tell them anything about God, and their attitude is, I can do anything, and don't you tell me anything about the Word of God. Don't Tell me there's a restraining God. Don't tell me the Word of God says that I can and can't do something. I can do anything I want. And because we have that attitude, a lot of people have a diseased mind. They, they, their thoughts, they think, you know, homosexuality is a virtue. Things that God said are evil are good. Because they hate the truth. And in a sense, they've been struck by God. So how do you respond when that's what the world is like? Well, we go back to Isaiah 6, the passage where it begins. Where people are now angry with the truth. People like Uzziah think we can do anything. And don't restrain me. How dare you oppose what I want to do? That was his attitude towards the priests. How dare you tell me? And it's, we're in an era where the judgment of God, if you've got eyes to see, is starting to strike people. So what, what do we do? What did God do in that situation where things went off the rail and society went off the rail and things, someone who'd been helped by God was now under the judgment of God. A nation that has been helped by God now is under the judgment of God. Well, this is what he did. Isaiah chapter 6. The king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. What does that speak about? That doesn't speak about coming to church. That speaks about an encounter with the living God. God drew this man, Isaiah, and he was already being used by God. We don't know how much at that said, but he drew him into the temple to have an encounter with God. And he said... I saw, this is a vision. You know, some people say the church needs to have a vision. You need to have, what's more needed is a personal vision of God himself. That's what we need for ourselves. That's what people need in this time. And this man came into the temple and he had a personal vision and he saw God. What did he see? He saw a seraphim. 
He saw, first of all, he saw God on a throne. So he saw the kingship and the majesty of God. He saw the, 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 the robe of God filling the temple. And there was angels and seraphim. So he knew God was the Lord of hosts. And then he heard a voice crying, holy, holy, holy. He saw the holiness of God. The whole earth is full of his glory. He saw that God, this God who is holy, this God is who majestic, this God who is glorious and his glory fills the whole world that is in control of the whole world and he had an encounter with a holy powerful mighty God and he saw God as God truly is you know when he, what's the evidence some people say I've had an encounter with God because I you know I manifest weird behavior I tell you if you have an encounter with who God really is the first thing that's going to happen to you, I promise you, you're going to be undone. And you will be undone by how unrighteous you are, how sinful your nature is. When you see God as He is, you see you as you truly are. And this is what we need. We need to have not just church knowledge. We need to have an encounter with this God who is on the throne. And this man had an encounter. And when he saw it, what did he say? Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's today. So many people are full of gossip. And they think it's okay. And divisive language. All the rest of it. But this man had an encounter. Now, he had an encounter. He was already being used by God. And to a degree, he had a certain righteousness about his life. He was an advisor to the king Hezekiah. And he was known as the prophet of his day, a great man who advised kings. And he was a man of integrity. But this man of integrity who advised kings was a great prophet, said when he saw God, I'm undone, I'm unclean. He said, I'm undone. And he went on to write. This is, what he, this is how he knew it from this encounter later on. He says, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. He says, I, 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 I wasn't aware of how sinful I was. But when I had a face-to-face -face encounter with God, I realized nothing I could do could make me right before God. And he says, I'm undone. You know, you can never truly see yourself till you see God. Do you know you? You're sitting in your chair there. And there's Julie. There's three of her. There's who Julie hopes she is. There's who other people think Julie is. And there's the white-hot spotlight truth of who Julie really is. And until we have that encounter with God, we don't know who we truly are. But when we have met God face to face in the prayer closet, we, it's not a theology anymore. We actually really realize He is holy and I am not. And He is so holy. He has a, a, an, an, an involuntary opposition to sin that He just destroys sin. That's why Isaiah says, this holy God, I'm undone. But then, you know, this is how important it is to seek God. You know, Job was also a righteous man. 
He had a righteous, but, but, and, and the whole book of Job, one of the things everyone said, oh, he's a good man, he was a good man, he's a good man. But what he had, although he was good, he still didn't have the right view of God. Because at the end of the pact, just before he gets restored, God says to him, God turns up and he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ears, but now my eyes see you. And what's the consequence? He says, now I, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So had the same, he had the same experience the Apostle Paul had. He had the same experience Isaiah had. When the same experience Job had. When I see you. Oh my goodness, I'd heard about you. I'd read about you. But when I saw you, when my eyes see you, therefore I abhor myself. Repent in ashes. And then while he's having this experience, while he is undone, this God, the same God who is holy on the throne, takes a coal from the fire. Seraphim fruit of the fire. And they took a coal which had been taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And this is the gospel, of course. Just when we feel undone, just when we feel that we can't stand before this God, just when we feel that we are totally unclean, my lips are unclean, it's not the tongs of a coal anymore, but it's the blood of Jesus gets applied to those who seek him. And instead of being condemned and judged, we understand the blood of Jesus has cleansed me and has washed me clean. That call, as soon as he touched his lips, he was changed. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. That's why the Bible says the blood of Jesus takes away our sin. When we confess our sin, he is rightful and just to forgive us and wash us clean. And in that place of the presence of God, Isaiah experienced the Holy Spirit shower on him where he was totally new. <laughs> this sinful man, this unclean man had become clean. Oh, I remember the day it happened. Has that happened to you? You're not saved if it hasn't happened. So he has this experience where I'm undone. Yet, in that experience, he's cleansed. And not only is he cleansed, he realizes this God who sits on the throne doesn't desire judgment. He desires to have mercy and forgiveness for those who are unclean. That's what his revelation is. His revelation is though we deserve judgment, though everything's off the rail, though people are, 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 are screaming at God and, and want to do their own way, this God, like our, our culture today, this God doesn't want to judge people. He wants to bring mercy and forgiveness to people. Even though they love what is evil, and they think good, good is evil and, and, and evil is good. Even though they want to do their own thing. He has this experience that says, this holy God is not a God of judgment. Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but to save us. He says he desires mercy and forgiveness. And when he has his encounter that this righteous and holy God who could just erase him, doesn't and he desires mercy and forgiveness he finally understands God he falls on his face and then he hears something your sin is purged then he heard the voice say 
Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Immediately he said, here am I, send me. And he said, go tell this people. Keep on hearing, you don't understand. Keep on searing, you don't disease. He goes on to say, I said, how long, Lord? He said, until the city is laid waste without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. For I have, the Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or an oak. So he has this encounter with God, holiness of God, and he, he, he's afraid of it and he thinks he's, he's gone, but God comes to him and cleanses him and he says, that's who God is. He wants to cleanse the unrighteous. He wants to bring mercy and forgiveness and not judgment. And then, that's what God wants. That's what he wants in this day and age. And then, basically, God is saying to him, when he says, whom shall I send? He's basically saying, who is there who will be an ambassador for God's mercy? Who is it who will go and tell the world about God's mercy? Who will let them go and proclaim to a people? And this is a failed people who think they don't need God anymore. This is a people whose truth, whose hearts are hard and hate truth. God says, I'm looking for someone to go to those people who hate truth, who think they don't need God anymore, and actually proclaim to them not judgment, but God's desire for mercy. That's what he's looking for today. And you know what? Isaiah, he just fell on his face. He had no conditions. This is what God's looking for. No conditions. Didn't say, well, I'll go there or I'll do this. He just fell on his face when he encountered the goodness and the mercy, the forgiveness of God. This is what happens. He said, you can do anything with me. You can send me anywhere. And God says, go and tell this hard-hearted people, angry people. This is what we're facing today. Angry people about the love and the mercy of God that is displayed by not striking me down, by striking his son down and making his blood available to cleanse me like the coals. Go and tell them about that God. And you know what? This is where we stand today in the midst of people. Don't want to know want to do their own thing, don't want to hear about truth. But look what it says. Verse 12. Sorry, verse 13. But yet a tenth. A tenth. Tenth. One in ten. Well, listen. One in ten. That's where we're at today. One in ten. One in ten. It's not easy. And you know, he, Isaiah has had, this, has had this encounter with God that very few of us today have had. This encounter where he actually meets God. He actually encounters the holiness of God. He encounters the goodness of God, the mercy and the love of God. And it's an experience. He sees angels. He sees, he's sitting right in the throne of God like the Apostle Paul. He's up there. And he sees it. And he sees the glory of God. And he sees the, the train, the majesty, and the kingship of God. And God says, 
even though you've had that experience. And you can go and tell people about this extraordinary encounter you've had with God. Still, their hearts are so hard, most of them won't believe. But one in ten. One in ten. That's what ministry is today. It is difficult because of the hardness of people's hearts. But is the one in ten worth it? God's saying, will you lay down your lives? You know, I've just, I've, I've, the highlight of my year this year, people think maybe it was something that happened. The highlight of my year this year has been meeting Fred. I don't even know if he's here today. You hear Fred? Yeah. <laughs> Fred's recently saved. He's one of the one in ten. One of the one in ten. You see how the blood of Jesus comes and totally changes a person's life. Totally changes their countenance, their attitudes, their feelings about themselves. One in ten. Is it worth it? It's what God is saying today. Do you think, do you think the Freds of the world and the others, that they are they worth it? And what Isaiah says, I'll go. And see, what God is calling for today, okay, people hate the gospel. They don't want to hear the truth. Be quiet. They don't want to hear the truth. They want to close you down. If you say there are limits, God gives us freedom, but freedom within limits. They say, we don't want to hear that. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do like, like, uh, like King Uzziah. I, I can do whatever I want to do. And they became angry and furious when you say, no, God has set limits. You saw that in the same-sex marriage debate. The fury of people. And what God is looking for, it's not easy. But we can be people who come to church and we're saved and we want to keep me and my family safe. It's, that's incomplete. Because every Christian in Mark 16 is commissioned. Now, go and tell. Now, See, Jesus didn't give us an out. Isaiah had this encounter, but in Mark 16, Jesus says to everyone, now go into all the world and tell. Go and tell. Do they want to hear? No. Will they be angry? No. But we, God is looking for a church today that actually wants to move beyond just being accepted and loved and safe. Are you willing to experience rejection? Isaiah was because he said, their hearts are so heavy, they're not going to turn. Only one in ten are going to turn. Are you willing to, leave, to move beyond rejection, the need to be loved, the need to be always liked even? Or are we willing to really be a great commission church who understand the times, who, have really, who really know our God, have seen His holiness, but experience incredible mercy and forgiveness and see, yeah, a hostile world, but say to the world, you know what? One in ten. We have the opportunity to change them eternally. Eternally. One in ten. 
And this passage at the end says, The cities are laid waste without inhabitants. The houses are without a man. Land is utterly desolate. And I believe Isaiah is the end time book. It's a prophetic book. And it's like, this nation, these nations who once knew God and honored God, now they don't want to know. They don't care. They don't want to know about truth. This is the nation in general. I want to tell you, whenever that happens, see, when we seek God, we prosper. But when a nation turns from God, there's never been a nation in the earth who's turned from God, says, we don't want to know about God. We don't want to know about his words. We want to do it our Let's continue to prosper. And it says, these nations will be utterly desolate. Utterly desolate. In other words, we've already ended in a season where you can see the prosperity and the blessing of, the, of God on the Western nations has started to lift because they don't want to know God. They've become like Uzziah in their later days. I want to do what I want to do. And don't you dare try to restrain me or my appetites. And anyone who tries to oppose them like those good priests, they become angry. They become furious. Don't tell me about the Word of God. That's the majority of our culture today. That's why we're in decline. But what God is looking for is a people today who have been so, I don't want to say wrecked by God, but so affected by that encounter with God that Isaiah had. We've actually seen God as he really is, and we've seen ourselves as we truly are. We go, oh gosh, I'm unclean. But then we're experiencing the blood of Jesus, washing us, changing us, giving us what we don't deserve. And then we say, oh God, I misunderstood you. You know, the first part of Isaiah's book, he's going, whoa, whoa, whoa are you? Whoa is this nation? Whoa is that nation? Whoa to you? Whoa to you? And then he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips because he's speaking judgment, 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 condemnation, criticism, gossip. When he has the encounter with God, his ministry changes. He speaks about God's desire to forgive and to restore. Have you had that encounter with God? Where you know who he is, that he desires mercy and not judgment. I, I, I finish. I, was, I always call myself a pastor with a past. I don't pretend I'm anything else, but I was living in Memphis and in uh, the early 90s, and I wasn't living right. My life was, I didn't have a Christian pedigree. I'm not the son of a, another pastor. I wish I was. But I come from a home. My father was a gambler and just wasn't good. And, uh, and I just followed the world. I'd gone into a church or, or a Billy Graham crusade, had an experience with God, but just gone into the world, followed the world, and was living in America, working in America, and totally immersed in the world, doing all the wrong things. And my life was full of shame. Full of shame. And I hit rock bottom in a hotel. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm 
a miracle, by the way, because in those days, I couldn't speak. If you asked me to speak in public, I'd hide in the corner. <laughs> I would shake. But I went to this man's church one Sunday morning called Adrian Rogers. Pastor Adrian Rogers is a great preacher. I had a church of 5,000 people in Memphis. And I went in that church and uh, I, I heard a message. And I was one of those people who was like doing whatever I wanted. I heard a message that led to the same thing as I had. I knew I was undone before God. I knew I met God that day. I didn't know about him, but I met God. I met him in the hotel room the night before. That led me to church. And then the miracle was that he didn't erase me. He forgave me. I experienced mercy, real mercy. I knew I was completely free. I knew he really killed his son instead of me. And the effect of it, I just said, I got nothing to offer, but I'm just here. I didn't say I want to be a preacher. I didn't say I want to be a missionary. I just surrendered my life completely to the one who'd been so good to me, to the one who'd had mercy on me, to the one who'd completely washed me clean, and I knew I was changed from that minute. I just said to God, here I am. Like Isaiah, here I am. I got nothing, but if you want to do anything with me, I'm willing. In fact, I'm desiring to be used by you. You are so amazing, and you are so wonderful. You are so good. And you know, I know some people preach that uh, a revival is going to come in such a way that everyone's going to get saved. Cities are going to become Christians. We're going to take over the council. We're going to take over all these institutions. It's called dominionism. And it's a deception. Deception. The truth is, it's one in ten. And if you actually believe that, the church is going to be so great, we're going to take over the world. The only thing that's going to happen to you in time, you're going to fall away, and I've seen it. If we preach the church is going to be so great, the church is going to rock the whole world. Never was that way in Jesus' day. Never was the day in Paul's day. Yes, we do experience periods of refreshing and revival, but I'll tell you, the issue isn't are you going to be part of a group that's going to rock the world? The issue is this. Will you be one of the ones who love God so much that you're willing to speak for him when you know it's only one in ten? Will you go and speak for God when you know people are going to hate what you say, when you know people are going to want to shut you down, no people are going to call you a bigot, no people are going to call you a, 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 a narrow person, no people are going to just say, I want to do what I want to. How dare you speak the word of God which puts limits around me? Are you willing to speak the word of God into that where it's only going to be one in ten? That's where we're at. And I'm here to tell you, it's so worth it. To get one soul saved. To get one soul truly, totally transformed the way only Jesus can transform them. To see a sinner 
really receive. A sinner who's undone by sin, receive the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And to be used by God in that way. There is nothing greater than all the cosmos can offer you. So many people, they don't know what's wrong with them. You know, they, need, they just need to be forgiven. Man went to the doctor one day and he said, Doctor, I, I, this is terrible. He said, I feel guilty. It's wrecking my world. He says, what's wrong with me? And the doctor says, you're guilty. See, guilt is not subjective, it's objective. People, they can't prosper because they're not forgiven. But when they are forgiven for their sins, suddenly their lives start to prosper. Suddenly they start to feel like I'm alive for the first time ever. I know who I am. I've met God. And He is a merciful God who desires to forgive us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and if, we don't get, if we don't get that forgiveness, this is the other side of the gospel, one day we will be undone. But Jesus doesn't want to judge you and send you to hell at the end of your life. He desires to have mercy on you and forgive you. And somebody's here today and you've never experienced that forgiveness. You didn't come here on a, as an accident. You didn't come here next Sunday. You came here today. Because the Bible says all have sinned. And all will face a holy, righteous God one day. And you want to face him today, not then when it's too late. You want to face him today and receive mercy and forgiveness for your sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is where we are, church. I've been given this ministry. It's a prophetic ministry. God has been showing me a lot of things about where we are and what's coming. And I believe there is a great revival coming. But it's a one in ten revival. It's a one in ten revival. But so many, so many out there are going to be looking for the truth. And you know what? <clears throat> God doesn't have plan Bs. We look at all this and so we, we, sometimes we're tempted to think, oh, you know, you've got to be called to go and preach. We're all told to preach. Preaching is just telling people about who Jesus is and the mercy he's had on you and the way you've been forgiven. That's all it is. That's all it is. Have you been forgiven? Have you been cleansed? I tell you, there's a few things that God's wanting to say from this passage today. I really believe a few things God wants to say to us. We are in a time, we are in a time where, like Israel, been blessed, been prospered, but there's been a change in the king's heart. King now longer, lost sight of God, no longer revered the word, the word, and just wanted to do what he wanted to do. Didn't want to be restrained. That's where our society's at. What did God do? I'll tell you what he did. He didn't do anything political. Didn't say get on the internet and find about all these conspiracies. It's what he does. This is what he always does. Found a person. Drew them in for encounter with himself. That's what God's trying to do today. He's simply trying to draw us 
so that we know who he is. You want to do programs? Good luck. I want to seek God. I want to know God more. God wants, us to re- God wants to reveal who he truly is. He wants us to give an encounter with himself. Like Isaiah had. He wants to give you an encounter where you actually see God for who he really is. And then you'll be able to see and understand yourself. It's not just about coming to church. God's looking for people. You know, and he's drawing for people. He's drawing those people that want to have the encounter. If you don't want it, he won't force you. He won't, he, won't, he won't even woo you. He'll only woo those who want that encounter. And I just know, I know God is doing it. God is, God is actually turning up in people's secret places. He's turning up in people's prayer closets. He's pouring out his spirit so we actually know who he really is. If you need that encounter, you come forward today. Just say to God, I want to encounter with you. I want to see you. I don't want to just hear you like Job. I don't want to hear about you. I don't want to know about you. I want to see you. Some of you never had a, an understanding. God wants to use you. Picks the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You don't have to go to Bible college to be an Isaiah, be a preacher. You just have to say, God, I'm willing to be opposed, to be rejected, to be criticized by nine in order that I get the one. Is that you? Or do you want to just get your forgiveness, your ticket to heaven, and put a fence around you and your family. I want to tell you, that's not New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is deeply missional. It is missional. You just got to say, if you want to be, if you want to get that one in ten, you, you know what your qualification, I better go to Bible college, but you know what your qualification is? Availability. Just say, God, I'm willing to put up with the flack. You won't have to look for them. God will bring them to you. All you'll have to do is open your mouth. Tell them what God has, Jesus has done for me. If you want to be part of that end time group, while the world is going down, Western society is going down, But that one in ten, that 10% revival, you want to be a part of it? Say that to God today. Say, God, use me. All as I said, just use me. Here I am. I'm available. Want us to bow our head? Want us to bow our head? Even as I'm preaching today, some people here today, you're here. Because God is holy. And the Word of God says, you're a sinner. doesn't say you're good. It says like Isaiah, no one's good but God. He doesn't want to erase you or send you to hell at the end of your life. He wants to forgive you today. 
He wants you to experiencing. It's an exchange life. It's a life where you're never the same again. Because you know you've been forgiven by God. That all the things that trouble you, all the things that you knew that gnaw away in your conscience when you try to sleep sometimes, that Jesus has actually washed them away on the cross. He's and actually gone. God wants to give that person here the experience of his forgiveness today. That's why Jesus died. So that you could be forgiven. If you need to be forgiven today, I want you to raise your hand. To heaven, not to me. Raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for that person, those people. Today, the blood of Jesus is doing its work. I stand, thank you for your word. You say, if we confess you, you are faithful to forgive us. Cleanse us. Wash us clean. And I thank you for salvation. Sins are washed clean today. If you're saying to God today, and this is, a, this is a big thing, don't make vows that you're not willing to keep. But if you say to God, I don't have much. Here I am. I'm willing to put up with the angry voices. I'm willing to put up with hostility. But God, I'm here. And I really want to be used by you. I want you to open doors for me to speak the wonderful, life-changing gospel. I want to get that one in ten. I want to be used by you so that sinners can experience your mercy and forgiveness. If you want to be used by that, like that, just you raise your hand to God. Heads are bowed. Be careful because He'll use you. Be considered because he'll use you. Be, be honest because there will be hostility. Father, I thank you. You are so wonderful. You've got such great plans. And though we see the change in our society, we see where it's been going. Father, we know your heart. We've encountered it. That you do not desire judgment. You desire mercy. And you desire forgiveness. I thank you that a wretch like me has been forgiven. Open doors. Give me platforms. Give me opportunities one-on-one -on -one and greater to share the life-changing message that the blood of Jesus totally changes sinners. The blood of Jesus totally cleanses lips. The blood of Jesus is still working today. All the people said, Amen.